Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 27. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about the federal budget, the debt, interest rate on debt, just what makes up the federal budget, and then what all these people are talking about with regard to, hey, you know, if the deficit keeps going and gets out of control, our net interest payments are going to take over uh, other parts of our our deficit. And really, you know, the impetus for this uh, this episode Uh, Someone recently said to me, you know, I I keep hearing about all this uh, universal basic income, UBI proposals where the government would cut a check to each citizen over 18. Uh, I've heard about Medicaid for all. I've heard about Green New Deal. And one of the things they always hear people talking about is how it's going to be paid for. And he said to me, look, you know, I listen to these people and they make all these arbitrary arguments. But if I just wanted to understand a little bit more about you know, the facts and the numbers and how I would actually engage somebody and talk about uh, what one side of the issue or another. And so he said, if you could do one of these where we get into a little bit of the numbers, it would sort of be helpful. And so uh, today we'll we'll do just that. And, you know, one of the things I can start and when we think about the, the federal budget, there's what normally happens is so a president takes over and so President Trump's first year with 2017, his he gets elected, of course, in November of 16. His first year of the budget is pretty much the prior president's budget. And so uh, his first real budget would, would have been, you know, 2018, because 2017, they would have done that. Uh, there, there's some differences about how the budgets get done. Uh, president proposes a budget and then Congress theoretically has to pass it. <laughs> That's not exactly how it's worked the last couple of years. And sometimes they pass what's called continuing your resolutions to continue to fund the government. But uh, basically, there's two parts. There's what you're going to spend, and then there's the revenue that you're going to bring in. And so what you're going to spend is, let's say, a proposed budget. And so give you an example, and I'm going to have a lot of links on this episode because uh, I didn't come up with all these numbers on my own. I brought them from different uh, spots. But one of the, uh, if we look at the 2020 budget proposal for the U.S. government, it's about $4.7 trillion. And the estimate, and I'll use air quotes here as I'm doing the thing with my fingers, right? The estimate for revenue is $3.7 trillion in revenue. And so right away, you're probably saying, wait a second, they're going to spend $4.7 trillion. Uh, they're only estimating to bring in $3.7 trillion in revenue, uh, doesn't that mean it's a deficit? Well, of course it is. And we've run deficits for many, many years uh, in this country. To give you an example, uh, in 2009, the deficit was $1.4 trillion. That was under President Obama. That was also in the, uh, you know, the year after the 2008 meltdown, right? And then uh, last year, I believe the deficit was $779 billion. And so when there's a proposed budget, they're using estimates for, you know, what they're going to bring in in revenue, and then they have sort of a baseline of what they're going to spend. Of course, if there's some something that comes up that wasn't planned, theoretically, they, you know, they could spend more money than that, but that's sort of the budget, right? So when you're looking at the federal budget, and one of the things that people say, well, well you know, why don't they spend less on this, more on this? There's really three different main areas of the budget. There's what's called the the mandatory section. 
And the mandatory spending is things like Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, among other things. And mandatory just means, you know, I heard somebody put it a different way. It's really the payments are on autopilot. There's no discretion on those. Those, uh, those are being paid out in those programs. And to give you an example, it's about $2.8 trillion is, uh, I think, what the, the last one was. Uh, then there is uh, discretionary payments, and discretionary would be, let's say, you know, things like the military or, you know, foreign aid, uh, money set aside for disasters or uh, to pay for wars, different things like that. And then there's what's called net interest payments, or really interest that's due on the debt. So all the debt that's outstanding, and we'll talk about the total debt in a little bit. That's what, on an annual basis at the government it's going to uh, you know to be spending on that. So the net interest payments are roughly 500 billion uh 1.4 trillion in discretionary spending, 2.8 trillion in mandatory spending. And so when you look at the mandatory spending, about of the 2.8 trillion, about 1.1 trillion is social security, about 680 billion is medicare and about 418 billion is Medicaid. Uh, discretionary is about $1.4 trillion, as I said. Of that, uh, more than, well, I don't know, probably the estimates around $800 billion is military. And that includes everything from you know the actual military that you would think of. I, I believe the VA is wrapped up in there. I could be wrong, or Veterans Affairs. And then the other part of that is things like Department of Education, urban... Uh, uh, development, housing, uh, health and human services. I think I'm missing another another big one in there. Uh, but then, of course, you come to the net interest payments on the debt. As we said, that's uh, roughly $500 billion, and I'll sort of get into those. So when you think about what the government is spending and what they're bringing in, of course, they are or have been for some time running a deficit and they don't expect, I mean, when they submit a budget, it's not like they thought they'd get $4.7 trillion or, and then they wound up getting less. Uh, they're submitting budgets that are actually uh, have a deficit built in. But certainly there's been deficits. I think the last time we had a surplus was during the tech boom in the late uh, 90s to maybe right around 2000. And the debt is actually somewhat important because you know, as we're running deficits, we continue to add to the debt. But one of the interesting things is, and I'll just give you some numbers here, our current debt is about $22 trillion. And we we have sort of the, the total debt, but then we also have this thing called total debt held by the public. And that's about $16.1 trillion. And if you're doing the math, that's a difference of about $5.9 trillion. Uh, the difference there is that debt, uh, the difference is sort of this intergovernmental. And so different parts of the government borrow from one another. So it sort of owes the interest to itself. Uh, you'll see this with uh, you know some of the social programs, Social Security. So theoretically, it owes the debt, but it's paying the debt to itself. It gets a little bit wonky on that. But when you hear about uh, interest on the debt, uh, right now our debt is about $22 trillion and it's uh, it's going up. So one of the things that is a measure of 
growth in the country is the idea of gross domestic product. So gross domestic product, you think about our economy, all the, the price of all the final finished goods in the U.S., and that was roughly $21 trillion, uh, in 2018. So if you look at total debt to GDP, meaning our debt uh, you know, over the GDP, it's about 105%, uh, which is uh, the highest it's been since uh, 1946, 1947, during one of the world wars and the, uh, the Great New Deal and a lot of the, the things that Roosevelt spent uh, a ton of money on. And then you look at the percent of debt held by the public to GDP is 77%. So that's been on the rise. Both of those numbers have been on the rise. And the, the forecast are it's going to continue to go higher. So why did deficit matter? And, and when people talk about the deficit, what is really the, the issue here? Well, one of the real interesting points about debts and deficits is just this this fact of what the interest payments are, the rate at which we pay interest. And so if you think about, uh, let's see, historical data, and I'm looking at, I'll link to this. This is from Treasury Direct, a government website. Uh, looks like in 2018, uh, about $523 billion was the net interest payments. And you go down and you say, well, okay, if I go back, let's say, to 2007 or 2008, it was about $450 billion. And one of the interesting parts about this whole thing is our debt. Uh, and so there, there's two ways to look at under presidents or under Congress or the Senates. Um, there's the percentage increase of debt. So you know, if you had $8 trillion in debt, now you have $16 trillion. The president has increased it by 100%. Uh, the most in, in sort of a raw, not on a percentage basis, but the most amount added to the debt uh, was under President Obama, although his percentage change, uh, I think, was still lower than Reagan. Reagan was 100 uh, percent. But generally, you know, presidents have added to the, uh, the national debt. Uh, and we say presidents, but of course, you know, you have Congress and the Senate as well. I mean, they're spending more than they are bringing in in revenue. So. The point I want to make about this is while our debt continues to increase and continues to, you know, it's doubled, uh, we haven't seen the amount of net interest payments, meaning the interest payments on the debt, grow quite as much. And one of the reasons why that is, is simply its interest rates are much lower. And so to give you a perspective on this, just pulling it up March of 2019, so that's this year, a couple months ago, uh, it's about 2.5%. Uh, call it two and a half, two point five nine percent is the average interest rate paid by the U.S. government on its debt. In other words, they borrow money, right? We borrow money. I guess we, well, they. I'll call them they. They borrow money. Let's say they they float another trillion dollars in bonds. They got to issue it and they got to pay interest to the bondholders. And so, the lower the interest rate, the lower uh, that their total payments are. So. If we look at the interest rate of March of 2019, I said it was about 2.5%. In December of 2007, it was uh, almost 5%. And so the interest rate was double what it is today in 2007, even though our debt was much lower. And so that's one of the reasons why in 2007, we paid, you know, let's see, 
430 billion in interest uh, 2008 it was 450 billion today you know last year was 458 billion and or I'm sorry it was 2017 and then uh, this year it looks 520 billion so while debt has gone up the interest payments have not gone up on a you know percent change to percent change basis and the reason is the interest rates have been very low and this is one of the risks that people point to if interest rates were to go up uh, your net interest payments could go up a lot more. And so to give you an example, March of 2001, the interest rate on you know debt that was out there was about 6.4%. And so the way to look at this, let's say if interest rates double tomorrow, it doesn't mean that all the bonds, all the interest that that is paid would double because you've got all this debt out there as you add new debt. Um, you would have to pay more in interest on that debt. And then what happens is as bonds mature, uh, theoretically, right, the, the U.S. government owes the bondholders their principal back, you know, their, their $1,000 per bond or their par value, uh, but they don't pay off the bonds. What they do is they float new debt to pay off the old bondholders. And so um, as you're, you're sort of revolving the, the maturing debt and they're issuing new debt, you'd be doing it at higher rates. Um, and, you know, if you had a, a 30-year bond that was issued 30 years ago, um, that's all sort of, and now it's, you know, coming due, all of those bonds sort of have a blended interest rate. So to give you some numbers on this, I took, uh, you know, the $523 billion, according to uh, Treasury Direct, and the average interest rate was about 2.5%. If the average interest rate went up to 5%, well, our uh, payments would be about $1.04 trillion. So you can kind of see the risk here is that if interest rates go up um, and let's assume that debt stays constant, then the U.S. government can wind up paying quite a bit more. Now, I, look, I mean, I'm not going to make predictions, but I'm just going to assume that the government's going to keep spending more than it brings in. And if it does that, Let's just put it into perspective. At a two and a half percent interest rate, each additional one trillion means the U.S. government would have to pay twenty-five billion dollars more annually in interest. And so you've got a combination of more debt coming on, uh, being floated in the coming years, and then you also have the risk of interest rates going up. And I've heard some people. Uh, there was one advisor who was talking uh, to a group, and um, I think made the point that. You know, our discretionary budget is $1.4 trillion. If we get a rise in interest rates and, and more debt, at some point, interest on the, on the national debt could exceed discretionary spending. And so that's, uh, that's one of the risks out there. Remember, we've got really the three main pieces of the budget. Uh, of a 4.7 proposed uh, 2020 budget, $2.8 trillion in mandatory spending, $1.4 in discretionary, and well, this was $479 billion. I think it's going to be higher now. But you can sort of see if payments on interest go up, they would have to cut more in discretionary spending uh, or they would have to run a, a bigger deficit. Now, by the way, the flip side of this also is one of the arguments that a lot of people make is, you know, generally, if you look at... Uh, sort of the effective tax rate. And so remember, there's a lot of talk right now about going back to a 70 or a 90% tax rate. The reality is, and my understanding is, uh, you know, even when rates were 90% or, or 72% or 
the effective tax rate, meaning after deductions or you know different write-offs or whatever it is, loopholes, whatever you want to call them, the effective tax rate hasn't changed too much over the years. And in fact, uh, the variance of the percentage collected of GDP over a number of different tax rates has not changed that much. There's a little bit of debate on that because you know when you talk about taxes, you're also talking about Social Security taxes and things like that. Uh, but I bring this up because um, that's one of the arguments. If you get more growth, more GDP growth, and you're collecting sort of an average effective tax rate or percent of GDP, that's one of the arguments to make that uh, growth could help narrow that uh, that budget deficit, right? So this brings me also to another point. And you know, one of the things that somebody asked me, I said, is it? Heard a lot about this universal basic income. And so if you haven't heard of the UBI or the universal basic income, uh, it's it's the idea that uh, you know we would as a government or the government would pay everybody, let's say, a monthly amount. And I think the the amount that's been floated is something like a thousand dollars a month. And everybody would have just this, every adult would have a universal basic income. And Somebody was asking me, what would that cost? And so I was curious, and I, I looked at the numbers. And according to the 2010 census, uh, there were 308 million people in the U.S. Again, this is according to the 2010 census. And from 2000 to 2010, of course, we won't have another one in 2020. But I think the growth was about just under 10% uh, population growth. And so you look at this and you say, okay, the total was there, but then this this idea of a universal basic income is to give uh, you know twelve thousand dollars a year, a thousand dollars a month, right? It's the same thing; it's just math to everyone over eighteen. Um, there's two hundred thirty four million five hundred sixty four and two hundred twelve, according to the two thousand ten census. And if you do the math, that's roughly about uh, two point eight trillion dollars. So if you gave everyone a thousand dollars a month. That would add to the the budget about two point eight trillion dollars. Now, if you if you say, well, you know, we probably have more people than we had in two thousand ten in the country, and I saw an estimate uh, of some numbers, and you do the, that math, it's about three point one trillion. So one of the things that right away you look at that, and there's in economics, there's this principle called all else being equal, and so you're just looking at sort of one component. And you're not saying what else would change, uh, but all else equal, you would say you need to raise revenue by about 85%. In other words, if you if you had this thing go up, go on, you you would pay 3.1 trillion every year, or at least you know next year according to those uh, those estimates. And if your revenue is only 3.7, uh, you would have to raise an additional 85% of revenue, or you would have to increase the gap between what you spend and what you take in, meaning increase the national debt uh, even more. Uh, so instead of a trillion, you could, uh, if you didn't bring any more revenue in. And remember, I, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, there's there's a couple things out there that say, generally, there's a certain percentage or a range of a percent of GDP that you collect in revenue, uh, irregardless of the, of the tax rates. Um, so maybe that's, that'll be another episode, we can get into that. So the other question that somebody had for me, well, what if, um, uh, I guess somebody was on TV saying, hey, you know, what if we just took the money from 
some of the, the corporations because they'll get the money back. I took a look and you know, one of the measures of sort of how much cash a company has is this thing called free cash flow. And free cash flow, the way to look at this, and I always explain it, let's say that you had a business and you owned a coffee shop and you sort of, you know, only took cash, right? Let's just go with the analogy. You've got a cash register, kind of old school. And people come in, they give you money. And then obviously, as you collect revenue, you also have to pay for supplies. You have to pay for your employees, maybe do some marketing, whatever it is. And so uh, day one, you know, January 1st, December 31st, you open up the cash register. And after you've paid all your expenses and done all your stuff and brought in all your um, all your sales, um, a good way of, that's kind of a good analogy. Your free cash flow is whatever is left over in, in your cash register at the end of the year. And so I just kind of took a look and I said, if, uh, you know, what if you, uh, what if you sort of looked at some of the, the largest companies or the biggest, uh, you know, free cash flows for 2018? And I took a look and, you know, Apple had free cash flow of about 64 billion. Boeing, 13.6 billion, Walmart, 18.2 billion, Amazon, 17.3, Disney had nine, Google, 22.83 billion, Microsoft, oh, 32.25 billion, Exxon, 16.4 billion. I think I got all the, I have about eight companies on this list. To give you an idea, if you took 100% of their free cash flow, those companies I just mentioned, it would still only add up to about 194 billion. And so, you know, even if you took the free cash flow of a bunch of other companies, it'd be really tough to, uh, if, if you took all their profits, right, if you, or if you took all their free cash flow, 100% of their free cash flow, you'd have to, it's just the numbers don't really add up. So that's one way to looking at it. Um, but I, I thought it was constructive just to, you know, a lot of people have said, hey, I always hear these people on TV and they're always talking about all these different ideas and uh, they try and talk about raising taxes, lowering taxes, doing a universal basic income, increasing benefits, decreasing benefits. And then, you know, what's what's really the risk of rising interest rates or what does adding all this debt actually do to potentially the other um, the other aspects of the budget? And you can see that uh, the federal budget, I mean, obviously the proposals are, are a deficit. We've been running deficits. As I said, it was the highest I've seen from what I can tell is 1.4 trillion in 2009 and 2018, it was 779 billion and our debt to GDP continues to rise. But that thing to keep an eye on if, if debt plus interest rates rising, uh, you know, happens, you potentially could have a situation where uh, you have you have to pay so much in interest on the debt, and it starts to squeeze more and more and more of that total sort of pie chart, right? For lack of a better term. So, uh, I'll link to a lot of this stuff, and uh, I was going to call this, you know, <laughs> how to debate or uh, get into a discussion with your friends about, uh, uh, you know, all this stuff. Uh, maybe I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but hopefully, you found this a uh, little bit uh, helpful. And just kind of looking at some of the facts and all this stuff is available. All this stuff is, uh, you know, certainly public. You just have to, have to uh, kind of know where to look for it. So, all right, we'll come back uh, with the next episode. We're probably going to do something uh, around how the options market behaves right 
prior to companies releasing earnings and and how something like implied volatility of options prices looks to uh, not necessarily predict, but trying to figure out how volatile the market thinks a, uh, a certain security or underlying index is. So, all right, with that, I'll, uh, I'll leave it there. We'll talk to everyone next week.